welcome to Deeper, a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. Our podcast follows the Sunday sermon and aims to help our congregations go deeper into God's Word. Welcome everyone to Deeper and our fifth episode in our Upside Down Kingdom series in Luke's Gospel. My name is Clayton Ryan and I'm a member of the 9am service and this week I'll be discussing Luke chapter 18 verses 18 to 30 with one of our pastors and our frequent podcaster Ken Davies. Ken, I think if we have you on here one more time, I think you're going to qualify for a free coffee. How are you this morning? I'm always ready for a free coffee. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm doing okay. I've actually had a bit of a cold this week, had to have a COVID test earlier in the week, uh, but doing okay now. Excellent. Great to hear it. Uh, Not great to hear about the COVID test. Nobody (laughs) nobody likes that. So as always, Ken, you've spent some time, you've been working on the text, uh, you've been reading through commentaries, you've been praying a lot. You've preached the sermon three times, and now you've had a few more days to reflect um, on all of that that you've done. So, can you share with us what has God laid on your heart in response to this passage? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, one, I think, is that uh, that the essential nature of God's generosity should elicit generosity. Mm. Um, this really comes down to an issue of if we've really understood what God has done for us then there's a necessary response of of just overjoyed generosity towards mm-hmm. others. Uh, and if that's not taking place, then there's problems there. And so I think this is a real, it's a real diagnostic issue. Um, are, we, are we grateful for God's mercy or not? Yeah. And I think then the other thing that's coming in on that is that I'm just increasingly conscious that I want to justify every purchase that I make mm. um, or every use of money and say, oh, yeah, I've got a good reason for this one. Yeah. And it just so happens that that's on the back of another one and another one and yeah. another one. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm just always um, – I'm, I'm not on – uh, Gumtree or Marketplace is my preferred place to sell. Mm-hmm. I'm usually there to buy. Yeah. And and what does that say about me? Yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing. Now, before we get going, uh, could you perhaps just remind us of the main points from your sermon? Yeah. Um, so looking to start off with at investment from the world's perspective uh, and thinking about what investment is, it's always about buying assets or having money in order to produce something for the future. And so underlying that, there's something about our future, ensuring future security mm. through investment, uh, primarily being financial. Uh, but then going, breaking up the passage into three parts, looking in, first of all, who are you talking to? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second middle section, investment advice from Jesus. Advice is probably not the right word, <laughs> although that's what I yeah. used. Uh, and then the shock bystanders respond. Um, and I think... Um, although money is the language that's used and this whole this whole episode kind of sounds like it's all about money and investment and wealth and possessions mm. um, but I think that that's really just the language that it's framed in yeah. and ultimately it's actually asking a much bigger question about who is Jesus mm. um, is Jesus just another voice amongst many other voices that's giving advice mm-hmm. or is he someone more than that and as he speaks the way that we respond to him actually shows who we think he is. Yeah. Um, and so getting that right, then yeah. everything else will flow on from it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that's that's kind of where the passage, I took the passage. Great. Thanks. That's really helpful. 
So I believe uh, it was John Wesley uh, that said, you know, the last part of a person to be converted uh, is their wallet. So I think topics around money and wealth, I think, can always be a little bit sensitive. Um, probably more sensitive for the listener than mm -hmm. the preacher, perhaps. And I think in my experience in the last few years in ministry, I think even Christians that I've come across that can take quite a legalistic approach uh, to many parts of the Bible, when it comes to money, they seem to decide that those passages on giving and tithing and all that are perhaps more a guidance mm. um, than a strict mm -hmm. approach that they're to follow. So why is it, do you think, that Christians can be so reluctant to speak about money and wealth? Or perhaps to put a little bit more bluntly, why can we be reluctant to speak about my money and wealth? Yeah, um, I think that I think that word is the defining problem. Mine, it's yeah. my money and my wealth, mm. and I think that shows a fundamental flaw in our thinking. That we we believe that everything that we have is ours, and the reality is is that it's not. We're managers, mm. and so when I when I was younger, uh, going through university, worked at a bike shop, ended up being the manager there. But I wasn't the owner of the store. Mm. And so although I had authority to make lots of decisions, I could make purchases, I could sell things at a discounted rate, um, ultimately I still had to run things past my boss and do things that were in line with what he, his business plan was. Mm. Um, I didn't have complete freedom to just do things that were for my own benefit. Yeah. I was always doing things for the benefit of my boss. Yeah. And I think that if we as Christians actually think more like that, mm -hmm. that everything that we've been given, whether we've got lots of possessions or only a few, um, they're not ours. We're just yeah. managing them on behalf of God. And so it's not ultimately about how what they achieve for our benefit, uh, but what they achieve for our boss. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a, it, it is a fascinating thing. Um, I think as Westerners, um, the whole concept of wealth um, is is very strong and yes. and a demand. This is my right. Yeah. Um, so some of those things play into it as well. Yeah, well, that's a really helpful analogy. That thinking that it's not ours, we're managing it. Mm. Yeah. So if we can start off with a question about the text. So if you follow the logic of the text, it seems to be suggesting that if the rich ruler had given his wealth away to the poor then he would have been rewarded for his good works. You know, he'd satisfied everything else mm -hmm. already. Mm -hmm. This was just the final um, final stage of things that he had to do. So how should we understand this passage so there isn't a conflict between salvation by works and salvation by faith alone? Yeah, it's, it's really tricky as we read passages like this. If we isolate them down to individual verses, mm. it, it does seem exactly like that, that this is saying something that seems to conflict with our understanding of Scripture elsewhere. Um, and I think we've got to be really careful. This, this, um, this ties into an understanding of how we read the Bible, mm. that clearer passages clarify ones that are less clear. Yeah. Um, and something that's going on here, I think, is that Jesus is a little bit like a master fisherman. Uh, he doesn't just uh, reef in the... The, the fishing he doesn't wind up the fishing rod really quickly mm. uh, he's just slowly drawing the fish in and in this case as he says things it's not his final word on them mm. and so as we listen to them we've actually got to keep listening until the end in order for us to understand why he said the things that he did yeah. and so for example when he <clears throat> excuse me when he says 
um, he starts quoting the commandments, the five commands out of the ten. It's not to say that if you keep these five, then you'll be good enough. Yeah. It's to bring the guy in because he's already thinking along those lines. Jesus yeah. knows it, gives him a little bit of rope, <laughs> and and then the the rich ruler ends up, um, yeah, hanging himself by it basically. Yeah. And also another one on the text. So this story passage also appears in Matthew and Mark. Mm. And in Matthew chapter 19, the account is almost identical uh, to Luke's. But in the end of the passage in Mark in chapter 10, Mark recorded Jesus saying the phrase, along with persecutions, Mm -hmm. um, sort of in what his disciples will endure. So is there anything we should be reading into why Mark would include this, but Matthew or Luke don't? Yeah, um, a lot of people, a lot of scholars have noticed over time that the three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are mm. very, very similar, and so they call them the synoptic gospels mm. um, because they are so similar. John's gospel is written quite differently. The framework, the structure of it, is very different. Yeah, it includes a whole lot of stories that are not included in the other three. Um, there's a whole lot of um, theories as to why that's the case. I think the best way for us to understand it is to recognize that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, have got different intentions as they're writing. Mm. They've got different audiences in mind. Um, as they're telling the accounts that they're telling of Jesus' um, miracles, his actions, his, his teaching, um, they don't serve exactly the same purpose. And yeah. so we have to be asking the question, as Luke presents this, is he trying to hide something that Mark said Jesus said, or is this actually because of his intention? He doesn't need to go there. Yeah. It would actually be an unhelpful distraction. Uh, and so there's no, I, I don't think there's any reason for us to uh, read anything into it mm-hmm. other than to be asking the question, as Luke presents this, what's his intention? So use the other gospels, that the, the synoptics or the, the harmonizing of gospels to help us to understand more implications, but make sure as we're trying to understand a particular text, let that text drive us rather than bringing in the others. Yeah. So we're studying Luke here, not Mark. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So as you would study Mark's gospel on this this account, uh, it's going to take you in different places uh, and and bring out some other conclusions which Luke doesn't uh, explore. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. That's really helpful. Now, I'm not sure... When the rich ruler called him good teacher, and then Jesus responded um, by saying, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. Now, I'm not really sure the rich ruler really understood uh, what Jesus was getting at, um, asking him this question. Is that right? I'm pretty sure he had no clue at all. (laughs) And it went way over his head. I was trying to be generous. (laughs) (laughs) So... um, with this in mind, like, how should having a right view of who Jesus is shape how we respond to him or how we come to him in prayer? Yeah. So we've seen the rich ruler completely yep. respond to the wrong way. Yep. How should we, if we have that right understanding of who Jesus is? Yeah, I think part of what's going on here is um, Jesus does this on multiple occasions. He He loves to answer questions with a question. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, it's because he's the master communicator. <laughs> Um, he doesn't allow people to bring their assumptions to a conversation. He's always making them question them and actually get to the reality. And so as this ruler comes to Jesus, calls him good teacher, 
Is it honorific? Is he mm. showing respect? Probably. Um, some people suggest that he's he's actually just being uh, facetious and he's just saying it and he doesn't mean it. Mm. I think that in this case, Matthew and Mark show us that he actually had really good intentions as he came and he actually yeah. desired uh, uh, a good answer from Jesus that mm. was going to confirm what he was already doing. Um, but Jesus knows that if the rich ruler doesn't understand who's speaking then he won't respond to his words in the right way. And mm. so he pulls him up on it to make him stop and think because what he's going to go on and talk about is the commands, which are the spoken word of God to Israel, mm. which the rich ruler would never even dream of disobeying. Yeah, They have been spoken by God on the mountain. We've had them written down or carved into stone by God twice. Yeah. Um, there's no way I would reject those. But Jesus' words, oh, well, they're just the words of a man. Mm. Um, if I choose to follow them, so be it. If I yeah. don't, oh, well. Um, but Jesus wants him to actually understand that the words that he speaks now have the equivalent weight and authority as the words which were spoken from Mount Sinai. Mm. Uh, and so if he rejects Jesus' words, he's actually doing the same thing, which he has actually already been doing. He's been disobeying the commands his whole life. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't realize that he has been. Yeah. So thinking about our own personal finances and things. So in this day and age, we just can't rely on the government providing us a pension. And I think as time goes on, less and less, we're going to be able to rely on the government for a pension when we retire. And as far as possible, I think we should try not to be a burden uh, upon others. So can you help us know how can we have a right mindset so that we're balanced in ensuring we're we're doing the right thing in providing for our families, uh, providing for our futures and planning for retirement and all of that, yet still being generous towards the kingdom of God. This isn't easy in, in my mind. Yeah, yeah. I'll just summarize it in 30 seconds for you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, um, it, it is a, it's really complicated and there are obviously other passages we can go to like 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Uh, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Mm. Um, in a period when the apostles are preaching grace, yeah. there's still a rule laid down that sounds really, really harsh. Oh, hang on, what about the people that are... And, and yet there's this really strong, you need, to, you need to be committed to using the gifts that's God given you mm. uh, in order to provide for yourself and for others. Mm. Um, 1 Timothy 5.8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's pretty strong words yeah. um, to say that someone's worse than an unbeliever because they're not willing to provide for their family. Mm. Um, and so clearly this is not about... Um, God is the provider, therefore I can sit back passively and just wait for everything. Mm. Um, nor is it to say, okay, I've got to work really, really hard uh, in order to provide for myself. Mm. And so how do we walk that balance between God's my provider and yet he's the one who's provided me with the abilities to work, mm. uh, to save, to invest, to do all sorts of things, um, not for my own good, but for the good of everyone he's um, place me amongst and yeah. I think that that's where we've got to we've got to go with it is that he has given us abilities and if we're just being lazy mm. um, 
then we've got to pull ourselves up and say, uh, hang on a second, maybe that's not the right way. That's not showing trust in Jesus. That's actually just giving in to my laziness. Yeah. Um, if I'm working 70, 80 hour weeks mm. because oh, God's given me the ability to do that, well, hang on a second. Are you really sure? Maybe he has. Maybe he's gifted mm. you as someone who's super capable in a really high position, but maybe you're doing it because you think that's the only way that you'll secure your future. Yeah. And so I think we've got to just keep on asking ourselves clarifying questions about what's our motivation for what we're doing, mm. um, not just asking the question, what are the what are the five things that I should be doing? There's no boxes to tick. You can slip into... Uh, doing things that start off good, but yeah. they end up being motivated for the wrong reasons. Yeah, and I think in your sermon you challenge us as well. Like, are we just making excuses? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I think that, as I said at the start, this is this is my practice: is that I would like to justify yeah. every purchase that I make, uh, yeah. every investment decision, every um, decision about how much work I'm doing. Um, and say, oh, yeah, yeah, this is to please God. Yeah. And often it can be, but often it will be, there'll be mixed motives. And so we've just got to keep keep checking in with God that, that we haven't shifted. Yeah. As you said, this is a diagnostic tool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We need to keep looking at ourselves. So I made a note in my, um, about halfway through your sermon, I've got this little box on the side, which I wrote down. I don't think this is quite the words you use, but it's something that popped into my head and seems to capture this upside down kingdom thinking. So it's, you can have everything yet lack everything and you can have nothing yet lack nothing. Mm. And essentially whatever we do or don't have in this life is in a sense irrelevant if we aren't right with Jesus. Yeah, I, it's a nice summary. I, I didn't come up with it, that's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I, without without stealing Rod's thunder from um, the sermon on the twenty first, mm-hmm. um, there's definitely a paralleling in Luke's gospel between the rich ruler and Zacchaeus, mm. um, and we I, I think our normal react my normal reaction, and it may be yours or it may not be, um, but our reaction is to feel sympathy for the rich ruler. Mm. Oh, how could Jesus be so cruel? To, requ- mm. to demand so much from him. Like mm. maybe he could have just told him to give half of his stuff away rather yeah. than everything. Yeah. Um, and, and so we're, we're putting ourselves, I put myself into the shoes of the rich ruler and think this is just too much, Jesus. Mm. Um, really, really fascinatingly, when we come to Zacchaeus, um, that's not how he feels at all. And so yeah. there's not a sadness. There's not a, oh, you're taking away from me the best. Uh, it really is this idea um, that if we've got Jesus, we have got the thing that is most valuable mm. and everything else in comparison is just worthless. Yeah. Um, and so Paul can talk about all the things in his life and just say, oh, it's all rubbish yeah. compared to knowing Christ. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, again, as as the diagnostic question, I think what it's showing is is that we actually haven't valued Christ as highly as we should yes. when we're still giving, making comparisons between him and what comes second best. Um, it, it's actually pretty um, scary yeah. um, that we're still even contemplating that there's a similarity or a, oh, it doesn't. Is this gonna is this gonna be a big enough benefit to justify the cost? Yeah. For asking that kind of question, we haven't understood the value of Jesus. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's as as Paul reminds us to the letter of Colossians, like where to, you know, when we become Christians, where to keep looking up, not around to the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a good reminder and challenge to us. Yeah, yeah. So finally, my thoughts are that if we don't talk about these things, like about our money, about our wealth, about our generosity, and all of that, if we don't talk about them just simply because it's awkward. Um, then we'll continue to have this unhelpful tension in our Christian walk uh, between having a godly attitude toward our finances and a worldly attitude. Mm -hmm. So what are some practical tips um, that we can be taking now as we look at our finances, as we plan for the present, but not only the present as we plan for the future, but ultimately as we plan for eternity? Mm -hmm. Uh, So what are some practical tips that you could give us? Yeah, it is. It's really fascinating what is a taboo in various societies. In in Thailand, uh, it was very normal. One of the first questions you are asked is, how old are you? Mm-hmm. And often following on the back of that is, how much money did you earn last year? Oh, well. <laughs> um, and the reason that they were asking that sometimes mm-hmm. was just because you were a foreigner and they knew they could get away with it and you weren't sure if you were supposed to answer truthfully or not. <laughs> uh, but part of it was actually to give respect in their society because if mm-hmm. you're older and wealthier, well, I therefore automatically have to give you a certain level of respect because of that. Mm-hmm. I think in Australian society, um, finance is very, very clearly a taboo subject. This yeah. is not something that you're ever allowed to talk to me about. Mm-hmm. And if we have a conversation, then what's said in the room stays in the room. Otherwise, I'll sue you. Yeah. Um, and so for for a church to be talking about money, uh, like I, I, I'd set a caveat up front that we don't always talk about this, but mm. when the scripture's talking about it, we must. Yeah. Um, and I think we do have to be careful in Australian society because that is the the atmosphere, mm-hmm. um, that this is not something that we go around and uh, are talking about all the time. Yeah. But if you don't have close friends who you're willing to actually talk about the details of this with, mm. um, and you just think about it yourself, talk with a loved one, and that's it, um, you're, you're in great danger mm. of justifying the position that you've already come to yeah. rather than have somebody speak into your situation and, and question some of the conclusions that you've come to or some of the ways you've come to those conclusions. Mm. Um, and so my encouragement would be um, talk to a friend and say, hey, um, I would love you to come and critique some of the ways that we're using our money. Yeah. Um, so come over to our place for a meal, mm. and but this is what we want to do. We want to have this extended conversation talking about how much money we're giving to church, how much money we're giving to uh, these different things, mm. uh, the, the type of car we're driving, the, the house that we're living in, the investments that we've got, all of these things. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it needs to be somebody that you trust. You don't you don't have these conversations with everybody. Yeah. Um, but I think that would be an absolutely incredible thing for Christians to be doing. Yeah. Um, and so it, it obviously takes careful thought. Um, if we just go with the flow, if we just do what we're doing, um, we will end up where our society is. Um, mm. Society is so strong on this. Yeah. Um, it's not just a little trickle. Um, the flow is like a, a tsunami that's taking us in a particular direction that is not Jesus-centered. Yeah. Uh, and so if we're not stopping and considering, if we're not questioning, um, then we will end up in a place that's not because 
Jesus is at our at our front and centre. Mm. Um, and so it'll, it'll involve all sorts of things about looking at what you're currently doing, looking at how much money you've got coming in, how much money you've got going out. Mm. Are you on the right mobile phone plan? Are you, are you spending too much on insurance or not enough on insurance? Yeah. Um, and so actually doing that kind of work uh, but also looking at um, what are the investment opportunities that are available. Now, that could be um, giving money at church, giving money to missionaries, to mm-hmm. interns, uh, to yeah. all sorts of good opportunities. Yeah. Um, but again, coming back to the diagnostic question, whatever we consider important, mm. we spend our money on. When, yes. I, was, when I was younger, uh, bike riding was my thing. And it was very clearly reflected in the use of my money. Mm. Um, I bought things before I had the money because this was important to me. Yeah. Um, my, or my money went into the bike T-shirt rather than the T-shirt that was just a plain shirt. Yeah. Um, it showed very clearly that this was important to me. And what we spend our money on as Christians will uh, partly identify what we've considered important. And so if our spending is all on ourselves, all on things of this world, then that shows us, it should be revealing to us um, what we've actually classified as the most important thing in our life yeah and really appreciated that you spoke about giving a church and to mission as part of your investment strategy yeah yeah and that's not just as the pastor speaking uh that's that's the bible speaking um that this is something that we as christians all need to consider uh and so for me as a pastor it's also something that i need to think about and and Mm. recognizing okay this is what my income is now i should be giving uh, some of this uh to my local church that i'm a part of yeah great well thank you ken for your time today uh it's been a good challenge uh, in getting us to think about our mindset Mm. about our wealth which is not our wealth (laughs) at all Uh Um, so thank you for your time it's been great digging deeper into Luke 18 and just a quick word for anyone listening that if you feel that you need to speak to someone about um, your mindset or attitude towards your finances uh, then you know as Ken suggested grab a good friend that you know and trust Mm. or come and speak to one of the pastors or the elders this really isn't a conversation that should be awkward for us to so do speak to somebody and if you need some help getting on top of your finances and budgeting again get in touch with somebody don't be embarrassed to ask because there are people uh, who are willing and able to help you so any final words ken no just recognize that how strong a passage this is Uh, jesus says that um, that wealth is a danger for people who would otherwise make the wise choice to be in the kingdom Mm. wealth can distract us so much that we don't enter into it uh, and, and that we need to take the weight of that uh, as how dangerous wealth can be to us. Amen, brother. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And I look forward to being with you all again next week. This has been a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. You can listen to past sermons and deeper podcasts and also find information about our Sunday services on our website at wollongongbaptist.org. 